It took me a long time to come out, and so I feel like I'm a few years behind everyone else. I'm figuring this all out. Hello, my name is Kay Anderson, and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode, I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories that they created there, and the people that they used to know. So, you know that cliche about being in a crowded room, but still feeling entirely alone? Well, sometimes I think that the person who came up with that imagery was talking about the phenomenon, phenomenon, of being on a dance floor in a queer bar. Because, yeah, there's a lot to celebrate there, right? Like, everyone is there to be themselves for the evening, they're letting go, they're having fun, but they can also really easily be this feeling of disconnect or outsiderness. I know that's not a word. And maybe that is all in your head and nothing but this imaginary scenario. But even if it is, it's still real, right? Well, I got to explore this and a few other things in this week's chat with Manish Mathur, who is the host of It Pod To Be You, a movie review podcast that is all about romantic films. We got together to talk about the New York bar Rush, and along the way we chat about the perils of appearing straight, narrow-minded gay men, oh, they're in every city, and what it feels like to be the fifth wheel. And before we get going, I should say that there was something in this conversation that really resonated with me because it helped to bring a focus to something that Manish and I, I think, have in common. And that is not always being able to appreciate something until it's long gone. I mean, hello, listen to the podcast you're listening to. It's all about lost queer spaces and celebrating the past. Ugh, could I get more inward looking? So yeah, I want to go on the record and say that I am going to try and find ways to celebrate the moment and to be more present going forward. And I want you to hold me to that, okay? Right, enough cheese, let's get into the episode. feels like a whole other another life ago that I was able to go out at midnight somewhere and stay out till four where it's like now if I'm in bed before (laughs) if I'm in bed before 11 it's great you know (laughs) if I have to go somewhere and I know I'll be out past midnight it's very annoying so I just can't (laughs) I can't imagine like this morning I woke up at 4 45 and I'm like not not by choice I just couldn't I just I, I I wake up early in general like, mm-hmm. usually I wake up between, like, 5.30 and 6, just regularly, even on weekends, wow. even when I sleep late. I just can't sleep in anymore. Um, but, I, yeah, there was a time in my life where I would be getting home at, like, 4.30, and it was wild. I, I really can't believe that that was my life. Why? It just feels so long ago. I mean, that was, I'm 34 now, or I'll be 34 this week, and, um, yeah, I mean, that was at least 12 years ago. Okay, so does that mean that 
you were just never a party animal and you threw yourself into it because you thought you had to or um, that actually transitioned? I don't think I was ever a huge party animal. I think I threw myself into it because it was fun and the people that I wanted to be around were. I mean, I think it was also an element of like, I wanted to be cool and fun like my friends were and like mm. have those experiences. And I generally enjoyed it, but I also like knew that I wanted to be a part of it. Mm. I was still discovering my sexuality, my relationship to queerness and gay culture and what that looked like, what kind of lifestyle that was and trying my hardest to like fit into the box of what I thought I, what I thought it would be like. And oh. I was like, oh, this is the way you have to be because it's all I saw. So, so fitting into the box. Yeah. What like shape is the box and what does it mean to fit in the box? When I was in college, um, and a lot of our friends were these like skinny, short, white theater kids, theater gays, who mm. like were going out all the time and they dressed really flamboyantly and they looked cool and they just seemed so like more together. And I was very awkward and very, I was mm. tall, I was broad shoulders, I was bigger, I was brown. And, you know, I was like, okay, I need to be like them because that's what it is to be gay. And I think I'm still, even a decade plus later, unpacking my relationship to queerness and how to carve out my own identity and trying to understand, like, how how to fit in, but also do I have to fit in? But also, mm. like, do I want to fit in a little and I want to be a little conventional, a little bit, like, stereotypical, but also, you know... I don't have to be that way. I don't know. It's it's yeah. still, it took me a long time to come out. And so I feel like I'm a few years behind everyone else. I'm figuring this all out. Ah. Um, so. Okay. Okay. I have follow-up questions. I have many follow-up <laughs> questions. I need to make sure I don't lose track. The yeah. first one and the least important one is what is the most embarrassing flamboyant outfit that you wore in order to fit into the box? That's the thing. Like I never had the courage to, or they even like, I don't think I even knew where to get the clothes that they had. I was wearing really, like, very hetero clothes. Like, I was wearing, like, polo shirts and, like, baggy jeans. You know, I was so ashamed of my... I mean, ashamed... I don't know. It was like... I had a weird relationship with my body. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not even hot enough to, like, wear a tank top out. Or, like, you know, because I was like, these guys are, like, 100 pounds smaller than I am they're a foot shorter they're not wearing glasses they're attracting all these guys and having relationships and stuff and I was like I just don't even know like how like what to do here uh, I felt like such a like gawky teenager mm-hmm. you know or such a like awkward dork I think it was more so that I was like in my own head around this stuff because mm-hmm. obviously I was invited to go to these places and like my friends wanted me to be there and I wanted to be there and like I had fun like it wasn't like I was depressed wallflower or anything but it was definitely the element of like, I'm here and I'm having fun, but I'm also like... Very aware. There's something that I can't quite attain, you know? Yeah. And I'm like very aware of my differences. Mm-hmm. And like the club that I thought of for this podcast, Rush, was like very much, very twinky, very like white, short, like what I call like drag race gays, you know? Um, it was like that kind of milieu. And I, I didn't even know that like there were clubs and bars for that like, where like guys that looked like me would go. Yeah. 
Because I didn't okay. know anyone that looked like me. So what you're saying is no embarrassing photos to share. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, like the photos you'll see are of me in like very normal, like everyday going to the mall clothes and my, my friends looking like fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I want to ask is probably less of a question and more of an observation, but I find it really fascinating uh, just picking up on something you said earlier, that for a really long time, the culture was all about looking as heterosexual as possible and trying to blend in and fit in. And then at some point it switched. And now people want to look visibly queer when they're yeah. out. Yeah. And I find that really fascinating. I mean, maybe it's not surprising given advances in equality laws, and ways to find people being much, much easier now than they used to be. But I still find that a really fascinating psychological shift. Yeah, I definitely had that switch flipped for me. And something that I'm still dealing with and still trying to be like, how can I be visibly queer? Because I feel like I spent a lot of my high school pretending. I spent a lot of my college trying to tell people and coming out and having people think that I was straight a lot. And it's like weirdly pushing me back in the closet, even though ah. I'm like, as someone who's like hiding something, I should be happy that I'm hiding it, but like, I don't want to hide it. So mm. it was just very much like, oh man, a lot of just thorniness, you know. And what you don't want to do is slap a rainbow on everything. Cause that is just, ugh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I'm growing to like the rainbow over time, but I remember I just had such a, an aversion to it for yeah. such a long time. I mean, I, I don't think I ever had an aversion to the rainbow. I, I really appreciate it as a symbol, especially as I learn more about like American queer history mm -hmm. and, and kind of what it means. But I mean, I hear you that like it's definitely like a lot of these symbols feel very corporate and very mainstream now that I understand where that where that's coming from but it's not even that like who can pull off a rainbow oh yeah <laughs> I have a shirt somewhere that's like bright pink and it says Gaijin in like rainbow coloring and like I've never worn it out I think I've worn it to the gym maybe and I've, I've worn it at home I've never worn it out Aww. it just feels a little ridiculous yeah but there's a reason you bought it yeah my boyfriend makes fun of me he was like you just want to be some like you know, queer little queen or something. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is holding you back then from wearing it out in public? Nothing. I just, I don't think it looks very good on me for one. Oh, okay. The well, color is kind of off. And like, you know, I, I bought it because I was like, yeah, I'm going to wear this and be proud and out and whatever. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's my project for, for the week to, <laughs> to put it on and wear it somewhere. Yeah, like this is my thing about pride parades as well. I mean, first of all, crowds, ugh, yeah. crowds. But also this kind of like, it's a bit like New Year's Eve, right? Like you have to be jubilant and you have to be excited and you have yeah, to be like, yeah. whoa, whoa, energy for like eight hours. And so I've always been really like, oh, no, I just, I can't, I can't handle that. But maybe this year... Oh, maybe I shouldn't commit to this. No, I'm going to commit to this. Maybe this year I need to go all in and just yeah. become a rainbow for the day. Yeah. And just make sure I'm wearing lots of sunscreen as well because that's yeah. another problem. I think, um, I think it's really worth it for the community at large to embrace that kind of spectacle, loudness, 
whatever you want to call it, that like jubilance every once in a while because I think we've earned it. I mean, the fact that like there's this whole this podcast and all these experiences and all this like mental back and forths we do, it's like we should have at least one day a year where we can just like go full out and be extreme and you know, kind of let try to let go of all those anxieties and insecurities and doubts and fears. But what if your fear is people? Oh. <laughs> I mean, that's a separate issue, I guess. I also, I mean, not to belabor the point, but also when you're in places like that, lots of people and not enough toilets, that's stressful. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of logistical issues there. Well, the one t- I've only been to the Pride Parade once, and uh, I remember just feeling like really excited to be there and then seeing some like, I don't know, some guy in like a mask for mask t-shirt. And I was like, man, that just like ruined my day. I was like, not that I'm like, I wasn't like attracted to him and wanted to hit on him. But I was just like, man, like that's just not why Yeah, of all the the messages of tolerance and acceptance. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So that kind of dampened it. But I mean, it it was fun. Like, I mean, it was a hassle getting home. Um, All right, okay, so we both need some practical things to be covered by our parade organizers, and then we're in, we're good. Exactly, yeah. Um, One of the other things I want to pick up with you, you mentioned earlier that it took you a long time to come out. Yeah. Why is that? Um, There are a lot of reasons. So I think I came out to myself around 19. Oh, wow. And it was the kind of thing where it's like, okay, I got to, like, confront this. Uh Uh-huh. I had a girlfriend for about six weeks my freshman year of college when I was 18, Heather. Um, She's she's a flight attendant now, and uh, it didn't work for a number of reasons. Uh, Wait, a number of reasons? Was it not just one? No, we we weren't compatible in general, like, as people, you know, and... So, yeah, but there was a big one. And um, I just kind of wanted to think around, like, I just need to, like, think about this and confront this. So that was around May 2008. I was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just, like, slowly I started to come out to my friends. Slowly I started to come out to my cousins that I was really close to. And it took me a while to come out to my parents and my sisters. Mm-hmm. Partially because I felt like they always suspected it. But that kind of made me feel worse about it. Unpack that for me. It, I don't know. It just felt like I... Like, didn't want to have to have that conversation with them about, like, oh, you were right. And have mm-hmm. them be like, well, we knew. And um, Because you thought they'd be, like, smug about it? No, or? I don't know. It was just an uncomfortable conversation I just didn't want to have. It was something that I was just not ready for. And then also, like, I'm the youngest of four. And, you know, my sisters, they all, you know, they got married and they started having mm-hmm. kids. And there's just, like... I'm not the type of person to be like, hey, let's talk about me for the next hour, Mm. (laughs) you know? I do want to point out right now that you're now on a podcast where you're talking about yourself for the next hour. No, I know. know. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know if you have any siblings, but like I have three sisters and it's sometimes just hard to like Mm. get in edgewise because like they have a lot going on. Like they got engaged and married within two years, all three of them, and they started having kids and it was hard for me to find 
a way in to yeah. kind of take the spotlight on something so big that even I was having trouble. But and also, if I'm like I'm projecting slightly here, so correct me if I'm wrong. I'm making assumptions about you, and that's not right. But I'm going to do it anyway. If you have grown up with siblings and you're used to being the one that shrinks away to give other people more space, yeah. it can be really hard to then be like, oh, by the way, now I'm going to reclaim this space or now I'm going to take up some space And it's for like something big, Yeah, you know. I kind of wish that my parents or my sisters would have been more expressive of supporting, you know, LGBT. I mean, they were never homophobic. Yeah. But it was it was also the situation where I was afraid that it was going to be like, hey, it's okay, except in our house, you know? Yeah, yeah. And not that I had any fear that they would, like, kick me out, but I just knew that that first conversation in the first few weeks would just be really uncomfortable, and I just felt like I kept avoiding it. But then uh, as my sister started having kids and I was starting to get ready for, like, a serious relationship, I was like, you know, I don't want my nieces and nephews to grow up in a world where I'm in the closet because, you know, if they are queer themselves. I don't want them to have that experience of being closeted for too long like I did. And also, I didn't want to be one of those couples where, like, they're hiding a relationship for years. I know a lot of Indian couples, gay and straight, where, you know, you're hiding a relationship from your parents for years and then it's a big thing. So eventually I just decided to come out. And I mean, it was fine. Like, it was a little bit of, like, how come you didn't tell us? Or we've always known. And I'm like... Well, maybe you shouldn't have thought about why I'm not telling you. Um, but, you know, it's fine. They're very accepting. And it ended up being a lot easier than I imagined. And, like, part of me is like, man, I wish I had just come out when I was, like, 19. Like, I think my mm-hmm. life would have been so much different. So the, this is going to sound judgy, judgy, McJudgy. Uh-oh. McJudgerson. <laughs> oh, I might have oversold it. So to me... Coming out to yourself at 19 seems quite late. And you yeah. were saying earlier about that was when you accepted it. Yeah. So did you know beforehand? I mean, I guess I must have known. It's hard to think back to that time, mm. actually. Um, I think when I look back on high school, I had crushes on guys. I just didn't call it that. Yeah, okay. You know, it was like, oh, I thought they were really cool. Or actually, I hated them, and they're annoying, ooh, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so passionate. I, I mean, I've, I mean, I've had friends who were like, yeah, in high school, like, I was closeted, but I was, like, secretly hooking up with such and such people. I mean, I didn't do that. I mean, I went to a Catholic school. I didn't have this, like, double life, mm-hmm. and I didn't have this, you know, like... But were you lingering in the underwear department whenever you went to Yeah, like, stuff store? like that. Yeah. <laughs> so then how you didn't know. you know <laughs> I just you know, just like oh everyone goes through this or like uh-huh. um, I just didn't know that this was something that I could be mm-hmm. and if I could be I just didn't know like how to like understand it mm. and so you reconciled this part of yourself when you were 19 and yeah. you were like oh yeah 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 this is a thing Right. I'm a gay. And at this point, you happen to be in one of the best cities in the world for exploration. Yeah. So why don't we talk about that? And specifically, (laughs) Rush, because we've taken quite a while to get there. But (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Rush is like, 
it's just like such a funny thing that like like I was saying earlier like I just can't believe that like that was something that I did regularly I don't know I don't we definitely did not go once a week maybe like maybe like once or twice a month maybe mm-hmm. um and I've had so many experiences there of like you know the few times where I danced with someone like you know like grinding and like twerking on each other I was like man I can't believe I did that like it's like it's just so like alien to me you know and um, why why what's wrong with it's just i mean i don't know i just can't imagine doing that it's not that i can't imagine doing that because i did it but like i don't know it's just very funny to me that like i went out clubbing like regularly and like if it wasn't there it was like some like warehouse party in brooklyn that i have no idea like where i was Mm. you know actually i don't even remember where rush is i I think it must be somewhere in chelsea but (laughs) Um, but so what do you think it was about the space that allowed you to let go of your inhibitions and to grind? Yeah, I think it was the music. I think it was also being like, oh, like everyone here is kind of like me in one way. You know, maybe not, they don't look like me or maybe they're not acting like me or they're not dressed like me, but we do have this one thing in common and like, there's no risk of me being like outed or anything because mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we're all here, we're all having fun. It's like two a.m. in this like random place. I don't, I don't even know how we got there, but um, so like there was that sense and like, but then there were also like a lot of I've had a lot of like defining moments at Rush as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of like places I feel like I'm still like unpacking and, and kind of figuring out what those moments felt like to me and what they mean. So. I have a lot of affection for it just for that, even if there were a lot of times where I was very just like in my own head there or trying my hardest not to be in my head. Shall we try and unpack any of those events? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the one that really sticks out to me is there was this guy in our class who I wasn't that friends with, but he was like friends of my roommates, I guess. And uh, he came and we were outside and, like, this is my most vivid memory of Rush, actually. And we were, we're outside, and, like, people are, like, smoking. I'm just kind of, like, you know, it's so hot in mm-hmm. those places. Like, I just, like, needed some air, and I was kind of, like, I think I'm ready to go home anyway. We're outside, and, like, we're all just kind of, like, standing. And this guy, Patrick, I, I think that's his name. If it's not him and he's listening, I apologize. But he's, like, <laughs> talking to my friends, and he was saying, like, oh, okay, yeah, like, you're a queen, you're a queen, you're a queen. And he comes to me, and he's, like, you're not a queen, and then, like, to another friend, he's like, and you're a queen. And I'm like, wait, why am I singled out? And, like, to this day, to this day, because, like, we weren't friends. I didn't see him that much after that. And to this day, I don't know if he thought that I was straight or if he was saying that, like, I'm gay, but I'm not, like, flamboyantly queer or I don't know what he meant by it. And, like, to this day, I feel like I'm still trying to, like, as we were saying earlier, like, be visibly queer and then kind of prove it. And I feel like that's still something that I'm, like, always very self-conscious about like appearing to be like too straight especially when I'm in a place like that because nowadays like you go to gay bars and there's usually a few straight people there you know like with their friends or just like you know and so I'm like I never want to be seen that way because it's like not who I am and so you've been holding on to this for all yeah. these years <laughs> and like I resented him for a long time after that I okay really- I've got a suggestion here Oh, no, I'm not going to talk to him about it. That's... No, okay. should we do some role play where you're oh, Manish no. and I'm Patrick? Do you want to? Uh, sure. You don't want to. No, so it's not a conversation. <laughs> it's just replaying that evening, yeah. okay? So let's see if I do this right. 
you're a queen, you're a queen, you're a queen, and you, Manish, you're a queen. Does that help? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it does. And, you know, I, on the, the, other, the other thing is, like, I don't know if that's exactly, like, how the night played out. Because it's, like, one of those memories where I'm, like, I'm so sure of this memory mm. that it might actually not be how it played out. You know, like, sometimes, like, your mind can, like, play tricks on you like that. Yeah. I, th- I feel like I've told this story. I'm sure I've told it to my boyfriend. I know I've told it to my other friends, but it's just like one of those experiences where you're just like, I'm being singled out, but I don't quite know why. Mm-mm. Is it my skin? Is it my body size? Is it my height? Is it the way that I'm dressed? Did you not see me with someone? So you just thought I was like the straight friend that came mm. along or, you know, it's just like, I just didn't know what that meant. And I didn't also have the self-confidence and like the wherewithal to ask about it. I think if that happened now, I might be like, hey, what does that mean? But when I was like 20, 21, I think I was just like, oh, okay, like I don't belong here. It's tough as well, though, isn't it? Because it's one of these things like, and I understand why that's upsetting and it feels really unjust that someone has made this judgment about you and feels able to just be like, meh, and splat it out on the ground. Right. But it's also like... If you were to bring it up and say, oh, can you explain this to me? Can you help me understand? Then they would very, very easily dismiss you and be like, it's not a big deal. Just bugger off. Yeah. And so you're in this weird middle muddy ground. Because, you know, I don't assign any malice to that. Oh, yeah. You know, throughout the last 12 years or, you know, 10 years, whatever, I've replayed that moment and thought about every motivation and every meaning of it. And this guy probably was high and or drunk and or like out of it in mm-hmm. some capacity so it might not have meant anything it could have just been like you know i'm not flamboyant and like i've never been that way i'm not like you know that's typical or like, even just that he thing. knew everyone else better than he knew you and he didn't want to offend you yeah exactly like yeah. who knows what it was but i also know that like i'm sure he's you know everyone's dealing with their own stuff and it's just one of those rare moments when like someone else's stuff and my stuff just like Mm -hmm. clashed in a way that affected me. And at this point, it's like kind of like, and I can't believe I took that so seriously, but it's also like one of my like most remembered memories from that time of just like being in a position of feeling very much like, oh, wow, like I thought I was an outsider and now I kind of am (laughs) in some way that I don't quite understand. Having it verified by someone external. Yeah. Who I don't even know that well either. But who knows? But yeah, so mm. that's kind of like one of those moments at, at Rush. But I'm, you know, it's also like, you know, now that I've had like a decade of dates and hookups and boyfriends and, you know, like I've become more comfortable in my own desirability and also more discerning about who I'm attracted to and kind of understanding like what my what my attraction means politically, socially, like kind of like what's been dictated to me by the media and Mm. and stuff like that. And like really unpacking like how, you know, a lot of what I thought was my type was like just dictated by who I was around and what I was seeing and like understanding where where that comes from and how to really think about that, you know, more thoughtfully. And um, also knowing that like, you know, I've been with my boyfriend now for almost two years Mm -hmm. and um you know, he has really helped my self-confidence a lot. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's been the most stable, solid relationship I've ever had, but also the longest. Um, I think that like now I'm more confident 
in a lot of ways, even as I'm still like unpacking a lot of these things and mm. trying to figure it out. I mean, I don't know, I feel like this ongoing kind of thing. So let's pick out that a little bit more and help me to okay. understand what it is you're saying. So it's about examining your biases and being aware of how those yeah, were formed yeah. by an external yeah. environment. Right. H how do you do that? Um, I don't know. I mean, some of the things that I remember thinking and saying when I was like 22, I'm like a little embarrassed about because they were so naive and unformed <gasps> about like... Okay, what were they? Just, Tell us. <laughs> you know, this is the kind of people that I thought I'd be attracted to. Well, and so at that age, did you have like one type? Yeah, but it was like so, you know, boring basic? and basic. Yeah. yeah, like, oh yeah, I love a six pack, you know, or like such such color eyes or hair or whatever. But it's like, it was so narrow-minded. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was just because of like the models I was seeing in the ads or the people that I was seeing in, in college. Like I said, like I went to a school that had a very robust theater program, but like, you know, the theater gays, they all looked alike. And kind yeah. of also realizing about how gay men in particular can be very narrow-minded, judgmental, hypocritical. I mean, there's definitely a subset of them who can be very clicky and exclusive. Mm. And I'm also like kind of realizing that like, why am I so desperate to have access to that group when I can have, like I can kind of create my own space and mm -hmm. realizing that like a lot of my own judgments came from my own self-criticism and a lot of things I didn't like about myself, I was putting back out there. So I think just like kind of doing a little bit of growing up and a little bit more self-reflection and kind of realizing like it's okay that like it's okay to have certain attractions, it's okay to explore and just like doing a lot of reading, kind of understanding more of the letters in the LGBTQ alphabet and really getting more awareness, more thoughtfulness, more knowledge about the world outside of my own little college campus. Mm. And tying it back into what you were saying before, but I think that I took you off in another direction and we didn't get to finish the conversation. Was some of this learned through your phases? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, like I've never dated anyone outside of online dating. I can count on one hand how many times I've approached someone like at a bar to like buy them a drink and try to flirt with them. And, you know, they accepted the drink, but they didn't flirt back. Um, oh, you know how it goes. <laughs> That's the social contract. You have to flirt back yeah, and buy right. you a drink. Um, I got a couple of numbers, but they never texted back or they, you know, whatever. But, you know, I, I think everyone should ask themselves the question, like, who is rejecting me and who am I rejecting? You know, and kind of thinking about that. And like, I, I think if someone is really like, finding themselves getting rejected constantly, then I think they should re-examine what their preferences are and really understanding like what's behind those preferences. You know, like I spent, remember spending a lot of times on Grindr trying to, you know, hook up with someone that had mm -hmm. no interest in me, trying to figure that out and like realizing like, well, I want to expand and I want to like, you know, honestly just people that wanted to be with me, I was like, let me just, try it and see and when I was in college and even after college in my like hooking up phase I've just gotta be open to new experiences and mm -hmm. try things out and really just like because like if you're so limiting to yourself of like the experiences that you want to have then you for me at least you know you could spend weeks just not 
feeling very frustrated with herself. But, you know, the more that I was open to who I wanted to date and just being like, okay, like, we have a good conversation. Like, we have, you know, like, you seem like a nice person. Your pictures are cute. Let's just go out on a date and see what mm. happens. Yeah. I'm a big fan of slut phases. Oh, that's not the terminology you used. <laughs> I think hookup phase. Hooking up phase. Hooking up phase. That's probably a bit more of a sanitized version. Yeah. I mean, like, I definitely have gone through those in and out of those. And... But it's so healthy to figure out what you like, what you don't like, to cast the net wide. I mean, I know that makes it sound like I'm using people, but I think just like having that place to explore without all the hang-ups of maybe a relationship or maybe thinking yeah. of something along these lines or these lines is so beneficial to you and your development, right? Yeah, yeah. I had this realization this past weekend. I'm realizing that, I mean, I have, I have like a couple of married friends, but I was like, oh, I'm talk, talking to a group of people and I'm not the single one in this group. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a new experience for me that I had not realized because I have a whole other group of friends who all got married and settled down a lot faster than I did. And they're straight people who are now buying houses and having kids and all that mm -hmm. fun stuff. And I was always used to being the like ninth wheel or mm -hmm. the 13th wheel, you know, like going to weddings alone because I wasn't given a plus one. Or, oh, um, <laughs> well, I mean, I understand because it's like I do know 12 people there. So it's not like I'm alone, but I'm like, it was always a fun experience when, like, the DJ goes, like, okay, all the couples come to the dance floor. And 12 people get up and go, and I'm, like, sitting there, like, what do you do? And I'm, like, I don't want to go to the bar because that's depressing. I don't want to be on my phone because that's rude. So I'm just sitting there. And I'm, like, can some woman please come dance with me? Why does it got to be a woman? Well, it doesn't, but I just can't imagine a straight guy coming being like, hey, you look, you're alone. Like, I mean, like, of my friends, and like, can one of my female friends come and, like, take pity on me? <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm going to, like, a spring gala this weekend with my boyfriend for school. And I'm just excited to have a plus one. Be like, but, and, and so when you may have that realization, how did it feel? Honestly, I felt a little smug. <laughs> but look, I mean, you know, I was that single friend forever. And I put in my time being the single friend who's like, oh, I'm not seeing anyone special. Or like, oh, I got ghosted again. Or I broke up with someone for, you know, X, Y, Z reason or whatever. I think when you're the single friend, I don't know if you've had this experience, but like when you're the single friend in a group of people who are coupled off and getting married, there's always just a little bit of like this like weird tension. Cause it's like, you don't quite fit in with them. Yeah. Even if you're friends. And I, I was like a lot of people I knew when they were single, but now they're like coupled off and it's like, they, they would talk about it like, Oh yeah, we went on a double date this time. Or like, we've been hanging out a lot. And I'm like, just because I'm not with someone doesn't mean you can't invite me to this mm -hmm. kind of stuff, you know? Or it's like, I invite someone to something like, well, we're doing something with the in-laws or something. There's just like a tension there. Yeah. Um, well, see, I think the solution isn't to get into a couple yourself. It's to just dismantle our societal expectations around people coupling up. Yeah. And I know it's probably a little less achievable than, than coupling up with someone, but... <laughs> I really don't want to spend time with your boyfriend. Like, I really don't want to spend time with your girlfriend. I'm like, 
your friend. I'm not their friend. So like, just don't invite me to, to hang out with you when you're with them. <laughs> Sorry, that sounds a bit yeah. harsh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's valid. It's, it's definitely valid. But yeah, when people get into a relationship and then suddenly they come as a unit, I hate that. Yeah. Yeah, my, I don't think my boyfriend are there yet because ah. I, think he, <laughs> I think he resists that the way that I think you might resist it as well. Like if I wanted to go somewhere and like go out to dinner with my friends, I think he would be like, you should go, they're your friends. And I'm like, well, we're not joined at the hip, but I was like, you know, it would be kind of nice for you to like meet and talk to them and stuff. But he's not going to be that boyfriend that has to be with me at all times. Like, I know like I have some female friends where like their boyfriends are always there. Mm. And I don't know if it's codependency, if it's mistrust, I don't know what it is, but I don't think he's ever going to be like that. Yeah, I yeah. think like he and I are trying to figure out that balance of like, there are times that I need him to be somewhere with me, mm-hmm. times where, you know, he can stay home. <laughs> you, you deign it appropriate for him to stay home. Yeah. <laughs> I get, yeah. <laughs> so, Rush. I realize we've not talked a lot about Rush. We talked about yeah. Rush. The, the, you, we've, we've done well considering where I usually take people on conversations on the show. What did Rush teach you about yourself? Um, I think it really helped me to explore my own inhibition and also to teach me to go out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was ever really a true party animal, as I, as I might have said earlier, but... I wanted to explore that and I felt that I was so nervous to do it. But I think going there also helped me to like become more open to experiences to kind of like figure out these like access points and experiences that I'm a little scared of. Like whether it's the music or the people that I'm with, you know, just that environment of like being with people in your community. So Rush, I mean, as much as there was a lot of anxiety and insecurities that came with going there, like, I really do value it. And and so if you could give the 2009, 2008, 2010, whatever version of yourself a piece of advice, what would you say? Um, it's not that I want to go back to like going clubbing like that because I, I don't, but I kind of wish I could time travel back and like re-experience those, those nights because I, I feel that I feel like I rushed through them. No pun intended, but I feel like I like I feel like it went by too fast and I mm-hmm. didn't really appreciate the singularity of those experiences. I, I think at the time I thought, yeah, I'm always going to be doing this. Like I'm always going to go out dancing and stuff. But I don't even know where like the clubs are now. So I kind of <laughs> wish that I could like go back and like relive it and really like soak it in and appreciate the kind of once in a lifetime phase that was. Mm. Do you have any memories of Rush or clubbing from your own queer scene that you want to share? Well, if you do, why not get in touch? I want to create the biggest online record of people's memories and stories of queer clubbing, but I need your help. Go to lostspacespodcast.com and find the section Share a Lost Space to tell me all about what it is you caught up to. You can also reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where my handle is Lost Spaces Pod. 
Find out more about Manish by listening to it pod to be you wherever you stream podcasts or give him a little follow on Twitter. His profile is at vertigay314. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you took the time to subscribe, leave a review on your podcast platform, or just tell other people who you think might be interested in giving it a little listen to. My name is Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces.